Few companies match the impact of ExxonMobil. For nearly a century, it was the world's largest publicly traded oil company. Exxon and Mobil's 1999 merger brought together descendants of the most prolific oil and gas company in U.S. history. The giant is the world's sixth heaviest carbon emitter, according to an open secrets investigation. That's weighing on the performance of its stock. When you control for all other sources of risk, you find that the company with higher carbon emissions has lower market value. Oil prices are back up on surging consumer demand, raising the company's short-term prospects. But regulators want to reshape the business long-term. Institutional investors are bracing for impact. We have a serious conflict now because we are trying to reduce emissions but at the same time, we don't want to stop economic growth and the economy needs energy to be able to function. Market experts see governments moving to punish companies that burn more fossil fuels. Some call this phenomenon green premium. Others call it the carbon premium. That carbon premium is rising over this time period. 20 years ago, we had ExxonMobil, largest, most profitable company. Today, it's Tesla. Fossil fuel companies they recognize that a certain amount of writing is on the wall. We are holding them accountable. After facing activist pressure, ExxonMobil is now saying it will reduce flaring and take more carbon out of the atmosphere. And it's disclosing a much more comprehensive accounting of its emissions. Those aren't the only plans it has in store. Think about carbon capture and storage, biofuels, hydrogen. The fossil fuel giant's fate may depend on its ability to pivot. Can ExxonMobil reduce emissions and stay profitable? ExxonMobil descends from John Rockefeller's legendary Standard Oil. And the oil truck, making its round of deliveries to farms and factories, to homes and service stations. Standard Oil was founded in the 1870s. Within 20 years, the company had seized the important domestic oil trade. In reference books for investors, there are abundant and impressive statistics on Standard Oil as a corporate unit. Standard Oil was the poster child for the antitrust movement and one of the reasons why antitrust laws were introduced in the U.S. In 1911, the Supreme Court ruled that Standard Oil had violated monopoly laws. The company had to break into 34 new groups. One would eventually become Exxon, and one would become Mobil. In the century that followed, the companies fueled the U.S. building boom. That meant constructing massive refineries near cities to convert crude oil into gasoline, plastics, and chemicals. The country's rich petroleum resources have made the United States the prosperous and progressive nation that it is. It also meant building networks of gas stations to serve as drivers. And they introduced products like rubbing alcohol and synthetic motor oil. But the core of the business revolves around oil exploration and production. Their engineers pioneered in 3D seismic analysis and deep water exploration. As Exxon's footprint grew, so did its environmental impact. For example, in 1989, an Exxon shipping vessel accidentally released more than 10 million gallons of oil products into Alaska's coastal waters. Crude polluted hundreds of miles of what had been pristine coastline. Thousands of people's livelihoods were ruined as well. The company says it paid $4.3 billion to clean up the mess. That's the price of business in the oil industry. To manage the high capital costs and risks from unexpected shocks, oil companies have a natural tendency to consolidate. Here's another example. The oil business depends on the cultivation of resources found all over the world. 
Sometimes that means operating in unstable political environments. The reason these companies are so big is because of the risk of expropriation. So if you have reserves in Africa or in Russia or in China, and there is a very strong risk that the government would expropriate, it makes sense for you to vertically integrate, which explains why we have these huge giants. In the late 1990s, Exxon and Mobil settled an antitrust challenge from the Federal Trade Commission. And on November 30th, 1999, the two companies merged in an $81 billion deal. They were immediately the largest oil and gas company on public markets. Exxon isn't nearly in the same monopoly position today than uh, Standard Oil was uh, at the end of the 19th century. There's a fair amount of competition in the oil market. As companies across the world raced to control the supply of oil, ExxonMobil dominated U.S. markets. It has assets around the world, but most operations are in North America. It's been a long-time pick for public investors, ranking in the Dow Jones Industrial Average for most years since 1928. But it fell out in 2020. That's because investors see long-term risks on the horizon in oil and gas. So what it means for Exxon is that to the extent that it is emitting more, and it is, uh, relative to its peers in its industry, it will take a bigger hit in terms of market valuation. In the 2000s, ExxonMobil invested heavily in oil production and exploration. Until the early 2000s, a lot of the reserves were what we call conventional reserves. And they were located somewhere in the Middle East, Africa, uh, the Gulf of Mexico. After that, we had this uh, shale revolution that really changed the oil and gas industry, at least in North America. The shale revolution in the U.S. is all about fracking. The extraction of shale oil using the controversial fracking technique has led to massive oil production in America. In the late 2010s, ExxonMobil saw an opportunity. They wanted to seize on advances in technology to produce vast assets trapped in hard-to-reach places like deep layers of the Permian Basin in western Texas. Researchers say that the drilling costs for these more expensive sites can range from a few hundred dollars to millions of dollars for a deep well. In 2019, Exxon was producing 4 million barrels of oil and gas per day. The company planned to increase production through 2025. Here's CEO Darren Woods speaking to CNBC in 2019. What was probably the most exciting uh, discussion we had, though, was the upside that we've identified over the course of last year to improve upon that base plan that we put out last year. And that's $4 billion of additional capex from 2019 to 2025. One year later, Demand for oil was in a free fall as the coronavirus momentarily froze the world. Oil prices briefly went negative, and U.S. fossil fuel producers' stock took a nosedive. Exxon suffered four straight quarters of losses. Then the company started to pivot. It now says it will keep production flat through 2025. That's because the world has fresh demand for energy, whether it's renewable or fossil-based. So it will take a while for us to switch to, you know, carbon-neutral capital. One estimate suggests that Exxon will be pumping far more oil out of the ground than its competitors over the next decade. This chart was made by an activist firm named Engine Number no. 1. In 2021, the firm launched a challenge to Exxon's board, saying that the company was positioned to underperform. Obviously, we disagree with that recommend recommendation. Engine Number no. 1's report says that Exxon chased risky production growth, leaving it more exposed to demand declines than its peers. Institutional investors agreed with the take which won the group three company board seats. The investor community is anticipating new regulations that target production and refining. Here's Security and Exchange Commission Chair Gary Gensler in the summer of 2021. I've asked staff to make recommendations about how, 
how companies might disclose scope one and scope two admissions, along with whether to disclose scope three, and if so, how and under what circumstances. Let's break down what he means by scope one, two, and three. Here's an example of each from the oil and gas production process. So scope one is the emissions that are generated from the extraction and refining. Now, to run your refinery, you're going to have to consume electricity. All the carbon that's gone into to producing that electricity, that's scope two. And then scope three is all the emissions that come from the burning of oil and gas from you know, driving a car, heating a house, producing plastics, uh, and that's by far the biggest share of emissions. Many companies, including ExxonMobil, have reported the more narrow scope one and two emissions for years. ExxonMobil produces the most emissions from these categories, according to MSCI. But these numbers pale in comparison to the scope three estimates. Many companies, including Exxon, are reporting these numbers for the first time. Exxon's self-reported Scope 3 emissions were roughly 540 million tons of carbon dioxide equivalent in 2020. External estimates of emissions from Exxon's products are even higher. The company has criticized the quality of Scope 3 emissions reporting, saying that many aspects of the count are out of their control. By comparison, their competitors at British Petroleum reported roughly 374 million tons of carbon dioxide emitted in 2019. But that number didn't include BP's stake in Rosneft, a Russian energy company. Analysts say that companies are being pushed to disclose more about how their products contribute to global warming. In 2021, even before the board shakeup, ExxonMobil's leadership was working to repair the company's public image. If you are a company, if you're a CEO, if you're a shareholder, if your model is one that's invested heavily in the fossil fuel sector, you know, then obviously dealing effectively with climate breakdown does represent an existential threat to your business model. ExxonMobil's pivot relies heavily on new research into carbon capture and sequestration. In these schemes, engineers capture emitted carbon using gigantic vacuums. Exxon and others are also developing methods like fuel cell carbon separation. Now, the company is launching an effort with 11 partners in the Houston refinery cluster to share a carbon capture system. Congressional researchers say that oil and gas companies have mainly used the captured carbon to further boost production of fossil fuels. Engine number one's analysis of Exxon's carbon capture program suggests it captures less than 1% of its total emissions, including the broad scope three category. And then there are methane emissions. Oil and gas companies across the board, including ExxonMobil, say they want to reduce flaring. Oil and gas producers flare excess natural gas when wells are producing because sometimes, Prices on the market make storing the gas unprofitable. Methane in the short run is much more potent as a greenhouse gas than carbon. And if you can control methane emissions and bring them down, you can have a, a big impact in the short run on, on global warming. ExxonMobil says it will reduce routine flaring by 2025 and work to cut its absolute emissions as well. But that's difficult to do without cutting production it's possible to lower your intensity substantially, even though you're increasing your overall emissions. So people caught on to that and they said, that's not really a great commitment, that's not very serious. ExxonMobil says it's backed carbon pricing in the US for more than a decade. It's a popular idea among economists. 
If you put a price on emissions, it will give businesses and consumers an incentive to emit less. Many would say that carbon pricing, you know, while it has a role to play, it's just one small piece of the puzzle. What I would say is the devil is in the detail, but often the, the prices are so low uh, that they're nowhere near where they need to be. And fossil fuel companies know this. The company likes to tout its research in algae cultivation for cleaner biofuel production. It's also lobbying for the ability to use flyovers to track methane leaks rather than conduct on-the-ground analysis. And leadership is rolling out new projects to reduce aspects of its footprint. You know, we recently announced a new business, Low Carbon Solutions. We uh, recently announced a concept uh, of a very large-scale carbon reduction uh, opportunity in Houston Ship Channel area. And I think you know, people are interested in that. Exxon CEO has also said the company needs to put more capital towards green investments. I think today's technology can start to abate high concentration CO2 streams, but uh, frankly, as you move to more and more dilute uh, sources, you're gonna require uh, more capital. We're very focused on how do we do that at the lowest overall cost to society. Experts say that companies like Exxon need to think ahead as legislators around the world call for change. Decisions made today could affect wells that will pump many years later. It is pretty much a sunk investment in the sense that once you open the well, you cannot close it. You just have to pump up the oil, uh, regardless of the oil price. Since the early 2000s, the risk was coming from government expropriating reserves. Now the risk comes from places like Norway or Germany or, or the UK or, or New Zealand. The future outlook for ExxonMobil is uncertain. The company's plan to keep pumping oil comes with a lot of risk. For starters, researchers say that assets like untapped fossil fuel reserves could suddenly become liabilities. There have been te technological developments that have allowed, uh, both in the US and in Canada, the oil sands to be extracted uh, profitably. In the long run, you would expect that those reserves that are more expensive to attract, like uh, oil sands and shale, are the ones who are going to be stranded first. That's just one example of a wave of uncertainty rippling through entire industries. The one word that will describe the oil and gas sector in the future is volatility, because we are rolling in more and more restrictive policies to limit the burning of fossil fuels and the emissions. Experts say there are essentially two paths forward. One is more regulation on fossil fuel production. The other is a planet warming at a dramatically faster pace. The UN says fossil fuel production is dangerously out of sync with global climate targets. Exxon, Chevron, some of the American companies, they're notorious for being the worst of the worst in terms of, you know, obstructionist policy, resisting what needs to be done. Biden, I quote, Exxon was publicly promoting views that its own scientists knew were wrong. When we look at COVID and the recovery packages that the largest economies in the world are putting in place, research has shown that basically those recovery packages are going into fossil fuel intensive and energy intensive sectors for our recovery. So it's not a green recovery. It's business as usual. There are good things happening, but we're nowhere near where we need to be 